This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash be here now today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash be here now. Hi, everyone. This is Chris Grasso with the Indie Spirituals podcast on the Be Here Now Network. And my guest today, who I am very excited to have on the show, first time guest, uh, Mark Nepo. Mark, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, it's a, it's a joy to be here with you. Appreciate yeah, thanks. it. Thanks. Yeah. So let me um, just read your bio quickly, and we're going to talk a bit about your new book and um, see whatever comes up. But uh, before we get into all that loveliness, uh, Mark has been clearing a path of spiritual inquiry for more than 40 years. He is the author of 20 books. Twenty. My third just came out, Mark, and I'm, uh, I don't <laughs> feel like I have another one in me. 20 books, <laughs> In- <laughs> including... The One Life We're Given, 7,000 Ways to Listen, The Endless Practice, uh, one of my personal favorites that's not in there, uh, Things That Join the Sea in the Sky, um, and then we also have, uh, of course, the number one New York Times bestseller, The Book of Awakening, the first book I read of yours, and um, your forthcoming book, which I'm jumping ahead a little here, but More Together Than Alone with Atria. Um, your books have been translated into more than 20 languages. In 2014, Mark traveled the country with, oh, this is no big deal, Oprah Winfrey (laughs) on her sold out The Life You Want tour and has appeared several times on her Super Soul Sunday program. Yeah, not not tough shoes to to fill there interviewing you after Oprah or anything. <laughs> but, so, and lastly, Mark's um, website. There's a few you can visit him at um, M A R K N like Nancy E P like Paul O dot com, um, or also Three Intentions the the number three spelled out Intentions dot com, and lastly um, W like William M like Mary E like Edward Speakers dot com backslash Speaker backslash Mark hyphen and like Nancy E P like Paul. Oh, Mark, thank you so much for joining me. Oh, for sure. I'm very happy to be here with you. Yeah. So, you know, I, as Mark and I were talking for a moment before we got recording and I had the uh, pleasure of meeting you, albeit briefly, but not that long ago, maybe a few weeks ago while you were here in West Hartford, Connecticut, just up the road from me at an absolutely wonderful facility, uh, Copper Beach Institute. And I'd never actually gotten to visit that part. I go there, coincidentally enough, every Monday night. I'm in recovery, and uh, I do an AA meeting there that's hosted. Oh, yeah, oh. and it's I've always loved going there for that because um, you know they have such beautiful artwork and uh, the statues. It's just gorgeous. So, um, as Brandon, uh, Brandon Nappy, who facilitates that that portion of um, of Copper Beach mentioned you've been coming for what was that your third time doing a workshop yeah that was my third time and i'll i'll be back next next june next as well yeah it's a beautiful place and uh, it's a wonderful in the center of of that whole um it's actually a catholic retreat uh monastery training ground yeah and uh and but brandon has with their blessing started this very ecumenical uh all traditions uh, retreat center, Copper Beach. So yeah. it's uh, yeah, it's been about five six years yeah. that it's been open now. It's a wonderful place. Yeah, yeah that's so great. I um, I that was the first time actually I'd seen Brandon, my friend, um, and you probably know her, Mirabai Bush. Um, oh yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah. So I was visiting her uh, last year up. Um, she doesn't live that far from here, up in Massachusetts, and she was telling me about Copper Beach and Brandon and. 
she told me a funny story. She was doing a workshop there as well. And she was saying how she was putting some things away in her closet and she noticed um, a crucifix that was kind of tucked away. Like they were hiding it. They didn't want to offend her. <laughs> and she's like, it was so sweet of them, but you know, it's all good. It's, you know, it's all love. So, um, right. And yeah. like Brandon said, the, um, that they're very um, progressive there, uh, not just Copper Beach, but the monastery. Um, so anyways, enough about that. It was just really nice to meet you there. And uh, and I'm always happy to give a shout out to local people here in Connecticut doing lovely things. So this is a sure. national podcast. But if you are in Connecticut, um, definitely check out Copper Beach. So that said, Mark, your new book is coming out uh, next month, correct? More Together yes. Than Alone? So yeah. I'm, uh, I was very fortunate to get an advanced copy of this and I guess we'll start off. We'll just do some basics. You know, you had 20 books out, like we said, and that's incredible. Um, I can't even begin to wrap my head around that, but let's start out with easy peasy. How would you say this book, you know, compared to your other twenties, what's different about this one? Well, this book and, and also Chris, you know, I, when I started out, um, you know, I was just hoping like any young writer just to finish one. Mm. I never imagined, I never imagined that I would, you know, retrieve, I like to say retrieve rather than author, <laughs> ret- retrieve 20. And, um, so I feel so blessed. It's more than I ever dreamt of. And, um, but this book is, this also is different in several ways. It's my lens and it's mm. the, it's the, the way that I encounter the world bringing a poet and a philosopher's lens to things. But this started 13, 14 years ago, and I became really interested in stories about moments that we work well together and the lessons from those stories across culturally, across history. And so this book, you know, really took a lot longer to, to listen for and to gather and to make sense of and it's the only book, really about five, six years ago, it's the only book of all the books I've done that it, in the thick of it, there was a moment when I said, gee, I don't know if I'm going to finish this one. No kidding. Yeah. And, and then I got through the thick, that thicket kind of. And I think it was because it was overwhelming. There was so much. And, you know, it's not definitive. No book can be definitive that looks at something like that. But I was, you know there was no real, I was making the path as I went. And, and so getting kind of lost in the middle of it, I wasn't unsure, I wasn't sure how to go or where to go, but I, I found my way. And, and, and I think the thing here is that, you know, whether that moment that works is between you and me and in a, in a literal moment yeah. or a long moment like the Iberian Peninsula in the 1100s in Spain where, you know, the Muslims and Jews and Christians lived together in a very high point of civilization for like 300, 400 years. So that's a long moment of community. So I've been interested and I'm not looking to create any social theory or, yeah. you know, any kind of extract any kind of law, social laws out of it. I simply want to, to acknowledge and lift up that lineage of how we work well together. Mm-hmm. You know, from the beginning of time, there has always been kind of an ongoing argument about humanity. You know, on the one hand, there are people that, that want to say, well, you know, how do, how do you account for the times when we're awful to each other? Well, well, human beings, that group will say in different ways, you know, well, that that you know, human beings are worse than animals and they need restrictions and laws and, you know, so that they don't run amok. And the other, the other side is that's, you know, the, the side throughout history that has said, no, human beings by their nature are kind and good and open. And it's the circumstances of the harshness of reality and the times when we trip on each other or we're inadvertently hurtful to each other or we have to respond to catastrophes and difficulties in, li- in living that take us from our true nature. So if we can just get back to our true nature, everything is fine. Mm-hmm. And I'm certainly of that lineage, of the latter. And I think that, um, so, so yeah, so that's how I started and it took, you know, and I've been working just like a little worker bee and, uh, the timing that this book is coming out now in, in the kind of 
where we are in the world right now uh, is timing beyond my choosing or doing. I just kind of looked up and it finally was done. And so I, it does feel like it's very relevant right now. Yeah. And, um, and so, yeah, let me just pause there and we yeah. can go into it more deeply. I would love for that. Yeah. I, um, you know, so as you're sharing that, it, it certainly resonates quite a bit. Um, and, and there's something else while we're on this, you know, I was reading a conversation with you and it was a similar question, you know, what are you trying to explore with this book? And I want to read um, the first part of your sentence because I loved this. You know, you start off talking about the Upanishads, which are very near and dear to my heart as well as <laughs> the Vedas and, you know, the great mystic texts of, uh, of the Indian and Hindu tradition. And you write, you know, in the Hindu Upanishads, there's a passage that speaks to how those who become wise lose their names in the Great Oneness, capital G, capital O, the way rivers lose their names when they flow into the sea. You know, you just have such a way with words, Mark. Um, oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, really. Um, but I would love, can, can you elaborate? And, and I mean, I could sit here and just read the rest of the answer, but I'd rather, yeah. in your own words, if you if you can just talk a little more about that. Yeah, so, you know, there's one thing that, that is part of this, the journey for everyone who, who's a, who has ever lived and will live. And we, you know, we get here and it's interesting that, and, and then we'll look at a little more closely what, what's happening today but in general in in the life pattern the journey the incarnation that everyone has to go through though no two people go through it exactly the same you know we we arrive here we initially you know infants uh they perceive in oneness because they've come from oneness and then the first thing that has to happen in order to be here and to navigate reality is at some early point they start for the first time to differentiate between me and you, between subject and object. And then, you know, that's fine, and then we go along, and that helps us navigate reality. And along the way, many of us substitute and think, oh, well, that's it, we're all separate. Hmm. When I believe it, we're, we're never really, we're still all in that oneness, but we have to navigate on the surface world, uh, acknowledging differences and uniqueness. But anyway, at the end, towards the end of our lives, you know, in any tradition, whatever tradition it might be, whoever you think your sages and saints are, whoever you choose to name, <laughs> they all somehow, through love and suffering, return to that great oneness where we realize, no, there is no subject and object. We are the same. And you can't skip over that. That's the journey of life. Right. You don't skip over it. And so, so given, given all that, I think that you, you know, humanity has always, uh, like, let's take the, let's use the metaphor of an ocean and in the ocean, the waves swell, they go up and then they, they crest and then they go down to a belly of wave. And I think that throughout humanity, um, throughout history, um, we have times where we are more together than alone when we crest and then there are times when we are stuck on what we perceive our differences yeah. and then it cycles again and again and we seem to be in a period it's not clear yet but it sure feels like we're in a, in a worldwide period where we're we're leaning pretty heavily on our differences yeah we're perceiving and I think that this goes goes back to the age-old choice, recurring choice, between love and fear. And, you know, there's, you may have gotten to it in the book, in the new book, there's a chapter on the two tribes. Hmm. Yeah. So let me talk about that a little bit. You know, so, you know, as I, as I look at where we are in, in this age right now with Trump as president and the great divisions between left and right, and for me, I want to respond as a person in this time, and then I want to also respond from a vantage point of all time. So for me in this time, I'm Jewish uh, by heritage. I'm a student of all paths, but, you know, I'm 67. I had my my grandparents uh, were immigrants, first-generation immigrants. We had people in our family die in the Holocaust. So... You know, how, how am I supposed 
to deal with the fact that I never imagined there would be Nazis in the street of America. Yeah. What are we supposed to do with this? Let alone a president who condones it. So, you know, my objections to Trump and Trumpism are not uh, political. Yeah. I, I differ. I differ in the policy choices, of course. But my my real deep my real deep uh, problem has more to do with decency. Has more to do with the fundamental ways we approach and hold each other and help each other or not. And so that's why this is below left or right to me. This is has to do, you know, with the depths of of the lineage of, of how we hold, how we are more together than alone, how we are kind to each other or how out of fear we hurt each other. And so, you know, at this point in 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 our histories, um, we have we, we have so much fear running rampant. And so this is where I back into looking at it outside of my being a person in this time, but trying to look back and reflect on, well, how, where, where does this come from? We're not the first generation to struggle with this or to move from whole, from being more together than alone to insisting we're separate and hurting each other. So as I try to look back at all that, I go all the way back and imagine, well, let's imagine the first time that two human beings came upon each other and realized that they weren't alone. You know, someone came to the mouth of a cave and, and saw the other and said, Oh, wait, wait, wait a minute. I thought I was here by myself. Well, let's imagine that the one in the cave pointed and said, Oh, you're different. Go away. And I imagine that that was the beginning of the go away tribe based on fear. And as we go throughout history, when that fear gets large enough, we can't rely that you'll go away. So I have to put you where I can watch you. And now we have people, whole groups of people who are put in a refugee camp or in a ghetto or in exile or as recently as yesterday, not allowed to come into the country yeah. or, you know, so, and in the very extreme periods of history, when that fear gets all encompassing, then that fear says, well, you know what? We can't even, uh, trust that you'll be where we put you. Now I have to make you go away. And now we have genocide. You know, that's awful. Now let's go back and set that that cave. And at the mouth, the other person sees someone else and says, Oh, you're different. Come teach me. And that I think was the beginning of the come teach me tribe. Mm -hmm. You know, Plato was part of the come teach me tribe. And he said, uh, we are born whole, W-H-O-L-E, but we need each other to be complete. So that, that lineage that's out of love and not fear says, oh my God, thank God you're not me. Teach me what I don't know. Together we will be more together than alone. And so that has led in, in its height throughout history in periods of enlightenment, periods of the highest civilization where we share learnings, where we realize, no, it's not just your viewpoint or my viewpoint, it's something beyond both of our viewpoints. And we have to listen to each other because we are more together than alone. So right now, it's unclear which way this is going. It certainly seems like we're moving toward a resurgence of the go away tribe. But I'm not exactly, you know, though I'm very concerned and upset about it all, I'm not sure yet. Because um, if we are going that way, then I feel that uh, you know, in the Middle Ages, at the same time that 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 uh, in the Iberian Peninsula in Spain, all this enlightened period was going on. In the in the Europe, it was the Dark Ages, and in Europe, for two three hundred years, only ten percent of the population were literate, mm. and those ten percent kept literacy alive for two hundred years. And if we are moving into a, a dark age in terms of consciousness, then it's incumbent on us to keep the literacy of the heart alive. Yeah. And everything we do, like conversations like this, everything we do from protesting to being matters, to legislating, to listening, to not uh, accepting things as they happen, but also not becoming like those 
who are strident and hurtful. So, and I don't know how to do that. I'm every day trying to figure, figure that out. But I think that why I say I'm not sure whether or not which way this is going in our time is because things are always coming together and falling apart yeah. at the same time. Absolutely. But things that fall apart make a lot of noise. When things come together, they're quieter. So we live in a modern world that I feel is addicted to the noise of things falling apart. And we don't need a good news station. We need a whole WHOLE yeah. news station because the, the things that are falling apart, it's not the only story. And that's why I wrote this book. It's not the only story. There, there, there is a lineage of kindness and listening and, uh, and goodness that isn't Pollyanna, that's actually strong. There is a strength to our kindness that holds the world together. Yeah. And the, the key, kind of the paradox at the heart of all of this, of the two tribes, is we're members of both tribes. There, there is as, as exasperated as I am with all that's going on. There is no they. Right. We are, we are they. We are they, and we have to somehow make our way through this without losing who we really are. So, Mark, the timing of all this is couldn't be more perfect. I mean, not only just with what's going on, everything you just described, on a personal level for me. Um, I had posted a Bill Hicks quote yesterday, the old, you know, the comedian, I think he was quite wise. Um, you know, also some people sometimes questionable and some people might object, but, um, to some of the things he said, but overall, you know, he seemed to me to be a very, um, awakened being. And, you know, it's just a part of a quote where he's talking about, don't worry about anything. It's all a dream, you know, enjoy the ride, things of that nature, which to me very much echo a lot of the great wisdom teachers like Shankara or Nagarjuna, Meister Eckhart, you know, it's, and, and you've already mentioned the interconnectedness. So, you know, coming more contemporary, Thich Nhat Hanh, of course, and there's many great teachers from all of the great wisdom traditions that are pointing us in that direction. So I mentioned that because I post that quote yesterday on social media and somebody said in a very, you know, um, not, not that they were trying to be combative. They said, I'm really stuck on this. Um, you know, they're like, I feel like a thought like that is, um, in, in this person's wording, a bourgeois, um, privileged kind of way of looking at things. And I understood where this person was coming from, but it always comes back to me for, you know, we've already been talking about the Upanishads, the ultimate level of reality and the relative or in Buddhism, the two truths, um, you know, so there's the two levels. And so I tried to convey back to her. Anytime we're in balance, you know, going one way or the other, that's why in Buddhism it says the two truths, not one more true than the other. They're both true. And, and she, you know, she appreciated my response, but I would love to hear, and I know you just kind of talked a lot about that, but in regards to that, in regards to right now, and, and she was mentioning specifically these poor children that were being separated from their families, you know, what would you say to that? Is there, or are there any further thoughts to what you were just already kind of describing in regards to that? Well, I think, you know, and you mentioned Meister Eckhart. And yeah. one of the things I love about Meister Eckhart is that he was mystical, contemplative, and he was also mayor of the burg that he lived in in Europe. Huh. And so I know that, you know, there are whole, there are all traditions that are monastic and ascetic, and it works for some people. But for me, in my time on earth, I, you know, I believe we're, we're in the world. Yes. And so, so what I love about that is that he, he went deep in to gather strength and resources, and then he was in his village, you know, <laughs> settling arguments about whose chicken this was and, you know, who broke the fence. And, yeah. you know, and I think, like, we, it is both. We are here, you know, and, we, and I, we, open, we learn to open our eyes in order to see. We learn to open our heart in order to love. And there is a direct connection between inner work and service in the world. And so I do not believe that all of the great oneness and the things that we're talking about are a place to retreat to. Yeah. 
it is a resource and not a refuge. And the fact is that we stand, just like a tree, uh, an old redwood will have deep roots. And it certainly can be uprooted if, if there's an earthquake or a tornado. But for most, most weather, it will endure yeah. because it has strong roots. And so this is a function of wherever we go, however you want to name it, how do we strengthen those roots so we can endure the weather of existence? Because if it wasn't this weather, it would be another weather. Yeah. So whatever, you know, uh, you know, there are things that, that are in, you know, it's horrible what's happening to these kids. And, you know, it does feel like if unchecked, we are creeping. Uh, there's a creeping fascism that is happening in America. Yeah. And, um, and I don't know, what, I, I don't have answers. I don't know what the, the, the solution is other than, you know, having been from a tradition uh, and a Jewish tradition where I, you know, ancestors died in the Holocaust. I feel whatever it is, we have to stay visible and present and who we are and not be lured into uh, becoming the bully to beat the bully, but strong in love and kindness and truth. And we have lots of tradition for that. And what that means for every person, I can't say. Every day, I'm asking myself, what does that mean for me today? When I go to teach or do a retreat like we, you were at, yeah. you know, how, how to stay open to uh, supporting people to have resources to be present when they go back out into the world, to talk about these things, to because it's all, you know, I think, it's really easy, uh, you know, we often talk about things as being political when they're over there. Yeah. As soon as it touches us, it's not political, it's personal. Yeah. And I think that's what's starting to happen is these trespasses are so grave that they're personal. You know, we can't allow children to be ripped from their parents. Yeah. You know, what do we do? I don't know. But everything from legislating to protesting to, and, and I believe this, it's not either or, but and. So all of these active steps, whatever it means in your life, and how do we be and grow those roots? Because if we look at humanity as a global body, then every soul is a cell in that global body. Mm. So the definition biologically of health has always been if I look at your body or you look at mine, or a doctor comes in and examines us. If we have one more healthy cell than toxic cell, we're considered healthy. Yeah. As soon as it goes the other way, we're ill. Well, I think it's the same thing on a global scale with humanity. And that's why, in addition to all the ways that we need to act, respond, uh, sign petitions, do things, all of that, legit, whatever it might be, we need to do what we're doing today and stay in conversation and in the root, rootedness of oneness of life because that's how we, um, that's how we ensure there's one more healthy soul than ill soul. Yeah. And that makes all the difference. So beautifully said, you know, I thank you for that, Mark. Um, as, as you're saying that, of course, I can't help but think about Donald Trump. You know, we've already talked a bit about him. And um, I, of course, do not agree with pretty much anything that comes out of that, that gentleman's mouth. Um, but that's my experience. And, and I own that. But what I do appreciate is when someone who does support him is willing to have a conversation, not just the rhetoric of make America great again, but help me understand why you you support this this gentleman and and his beliefs what is it that resonates with you let's talk about this and, and i'm open i'm not saying i'm right and you're wrong just i would love to understand where you're coming from and and i'm grateful to have had many conversations not that it has necessarily really made me more you know illumined in regards to what donald trump really is offering but um i appreciate the fact that we can sit down as humans and engage rationally consciously you know and no pretense let's just talk and uh 
and 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 that's great but then unfortunately and on both sides there are the people that are very staunch in their beliefs and again teach their own but um well yeah and and so so you know i've come to feel in this time that that a couple of things that great love and great suffering is what opens our and deepens our compassion yeah and so so one of the things that i feel is really helpful in this time and this really came from a student of mine an older student of mine in, in one of my groups um, who who had a, a, a cousin who had become very, uh, as, as he got older, they were kids, they played together and, and were close, but now they're older, they're in their 70s, and uh, he wanted to reconnect because a lot of their family is passing away. And he said, oh, we were so close as kids, and he'd become a, a born-again Christian and a fundamentalist and very kind of narrow in his views. Yeah. And she said it, she didn't know where it came from in her, but her response to him was, I would love that if we can only share our experience and not our conclusions. Mm. And I think that's a very wise insight that's helpful right now. You know, Longfellow said if we really listened to the stories of our enemies, they would no longer be our enemies. Mm. And so I realized that, you know, we can't force people to listen or to share, but we can invite a deeper connection that tries to get below our conclusions and into the truth of our experience. Why do you feel so strongly as you do? What has led you to believe this, that, or the other thing? Let's not argue up here. Let's understand each other's stories. And I think that um, that, that sharing of stories is 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 one thing that we can do. And the other thing, though, on the other end of that is that I really feel these days that I will welcome anyone into the circle except those who want to destroy the circle. Mm. Yeah. I, I feel like there just has to be that line. Yeah. And, um, and so, uh, you know, let me, let me share. And, and so th- this kind of gets to right now, you know, uh, I think so much about... Um, you know, because Trump represents one thing, but all the Republicans around him who are basically living out of Faustian deal right now is another thing Yeah, that have made the soil for this dark flower to break ground. And, um, and so let me back up and before I talk about that directly, just to, to come into that through a parable. Lovely. So. There are two two monks who are, have studied years the works of Buddha, and all that they're going to meet and keep an appointment with Buddha on the top of a mountain, and they finally embark one day, and they start their journey up the mountain. And halfway up the mountain, one of them breaks his arm. So they spend the night, and the one who's okay tends his other, and uh, plans to keep his appointment with Buddha in the morning, make sure he's comfortable. But when they get up in the morning, uh, the one who broke his arm isn't doing so well. He's got a fever. <clears throat> it's clear he can't be left there and be okay. Yeah. So what does he do? What does the other monk do? That, that's the essence of the parable. And what we have here is when we have more people in any era that will keep their appointment, whatever that appointment is at the top of the mountain, rather than care for their broken other, we have an era of cruelty. Mm. When we have more people who will realize that caring for their broken other is the summit, we have an age of compassion. And every day we're faced, all of us, repeatedly with this choice. And right now, and so whatever you can make the appointment at the top of the mountain, you can make it whatever you want. You can make it wealth, you can make it success, you can make it family, you can make it, uh, uh, you know, security so that you don't have to be afraid. You name it, whatever you want to make it, whatever you think is more holy than working with what life gives us, then you're leaning toward cruelty over compassion. And this is something for all of us to face and decide every day. It doesn't mean, you know, that we can care for everyone in our path. 
even Jesus, you know, there's a parable that when in the cave, all the lepers came around him and he said, hey, heal yourselves. I need a rest. Okay. So that's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is now let's go back and look at Congress. Congress and the Republicans especially have placed at the top of a mountain the fact that they are in power. And whatever dreams of things that they can do that they couldn't do for generations because they have all parts of government, they are holding that out as the appointment at the top of the mountain over caring for the kids that they're seeing along the way, over immigrants, and you name it. And they're swallowing the bitter pill of not standing up to Trump in order to keep the appointment at the top of the mountain in view. And I don't know what it takes or what line needs to be crossed to for any person. That's an individual thing. But they're abdicating their humanity in this place in order to maintain their illusion of power. Because the truth is, they haven't accomplished anything. So, so not, you know, just to kind of put that lens on it and then say, we all face the same choice every day. We all face the same choice every day. And I think, I think one of the archetypes, one of the, the truths, if you will, of the human journey is that, that our greatness often comes from working with what we're given over working for what we want. Yeah. Wow. Beautifully said. You know, so we've, we've talked a lot about politics and, uh, and I'm glad because it's so important in this day and age. Um, and, and right now, I mean, it's just, it's what's kind of in our face, no matter, no matter where you turn, there it is social media, not social media. Um, but, and, and this all is quite relatable to your book. Um, and, and kind of coming back to that, uh, something I'm curious about, Mark, is, I mean, you're such obviously a um, experienced and intelligent human being. I mean, we all are in our own way, but you've had many a journey that uh, a lot of us haven't had. You know, you've traveled and seen things and just learned and studied. And this being, you know, having, like we've already talked about, 20 books out, is there something you found in working with this book that some kind of understanding or understandings that you may have come to while working on this that were just like a light bulb for you that you haven't had up to this point in your life? Any epiphanies, any... Yeah, I, I think sense? that, you know, through, through, well, thank you for asking that. And yeah. I, think I'm still, I think I'm still learning from it. You sure. Know, just because it's out, I'm still like, a, you know, I've been on this journey with it and I'm still learning from all the stories I've retrieved. But one thing that really has stood out I think in almost all the stories, regardless of time period or culture, is that when fear, it's a pattern that appears over and over again, when fear makes us think that self-interest will save us, great love and suffering affirm that we're more together than alone. Wow. And it's, I've seen it over and over Again, and you know, it's it's not it's it's well known that in in the worlds of philanthropy, studies have been done that the people who give the most are the people who don't have anything, and that's because we know when we're in that position what it feels like, and so our compassion goes out. You know, my my in my family, you know, I mentioned you know my my grandfather who you know died when I was I think in seventh grade. Um, on my father's side, and he, they lived in the Great Depression in New York City. He was a, um, before we had digital and everything, he was a letterpress printer. You know, he would work for a newspaper where they would, by hand, with individual letter, metal typeface, make all, every day the pages had to be made up. And then he lost, he, you know, he lost his job like so many people. And then, then they had a vegetable stand in, in Brooklyn. But anyway, he would bring strangers home to dinner. The, the story is in my family. And, uh, and my grandmother would pull him aside and say, well, what are we going to, we don't have anything, you know. And he would smile and he'd kiss her on the cheek and he'd say, break whatever we have in half and it will be enough. Hmm. 
And that's been a, a mythic story in my family. And I think that <clears throat> given where we are now, it also surfaces as, a, as an eternal wisdom. You know, again, it's, it's the more that we can encourage our own hearts to open and listen the hearts of others open, the less, and so let's move into this for a minute, the yeah. less pressurized our society will be and the less strident other people will be regardless of their views. So this leads to what I want to say, which I do talk in the book about the, the troubling uh, epidemic of mass shootings yeah. uh, around the world, but especially in America, yeah. especially in America. It's an epidemic. And the way that I've tried to reflect on this and hold this, I don't have any answers, but I do have a question. And the question is, revolves around the fact that these people, these killers, these, they are uh, at once, they are responsible for their behavior. There's no question about it. And we are responsible for the pressurized society that is making them explode. Mm. So in the body, an aneurysm is when a weak cell explodes, usually in the brain, and it often leads to a stroke. But they explode in a pressurized system. There's either high blood pressure, terribly high blood pressure, the, the rest of the body isn't in stasis, something happens. So again, let's, let's look at our society as a body. These people, who are sh shooters and doing these mass killings are at once responsible for their own behavior and they are social aneurysms. Yeah. They are weakened cells that are exploding. So we, it's not okay to say they're out of their minds, it has nothing to do with us. Yes, they're out of their minds. And what kind of pressurized society have we created that we, more than any country in this, globe are having an epidemic of these weak cells exploding. Mm. We can at least look at our society and ask how can we depressurize, where are we, why is our society so strident that these weak cells are exploding everywhere? And I don't know what the answer to that is, right. but, but I want to pose that question. It's very important. You know, I, I have a a lot of thoughts around, you know, when, when I see things like a while back, it was, um, the, um, Westboro Baptist church, for example, protesting outside of homosexual, um, funerals or not just homosexuals, but that was a big thing they were doing. Um, or, you know, whether it's, uh, the KKK Nazis, things of that nature, they're not these individuals. And this is in no way, you know, making excuses, but people are not born hateful. They are not born murderers. These are things that are instilled in them for one reason or another, family, whatever the case may be, often family. But you made such a great point societal or society-wise as well. And I try to remember that, again, making it, you know, again, not it's not okay to, to spread that hate. But when you look past that and you see the fear and whatever else they might have gone through, uh, taking Donald Trump, not to steer this back politically, but like even Ram Das has a picture of Donald Trump on his puja table, you know, mm -hmm. right next to Maharaji and Christ and whomever else, because he needs love too. And when I look at Trump and, you know, I, I see through that veil of this big, powerful man. And what I see is a scared seven-year-old boy. I don't know mm -hmm. what happened to him, but it's, it's, it's a, it's an act and it's fear and fear-based. And, um, and anyways, I just share that because for me, at least it helps me to bring compassion to the situation. Again, not excusing certain behaviors or attitudes or rhetoric words that are just causing division and hate and suffering and pain, but it helps me to understand a little bit more and to, I was going to say soft and that's not a uh, quite, quite an accurate word, but, um, I don't know. I don't know. But I, I love Mark and, and you you say this all the time. I don't have the answer, but I have the question, you know, and, and, and that's what we need. Let's let's have more questions. Let's look deeper. Well, I think that we have to continue to model, um, which doesn't mean we re roll over. 
Yeah. We have to model strength in kindness, in truth, and and in listening. Yeah. And and uh, and try not to become that which is hurtful and cruel. Yeah. Thank you. So, you know, we've got about 10, 15 minutes and, um, gosh, there's a million more things. I wish I had five hours with you. We'll have to have you back <laughs> on the show sometime. But, um, I guess two things before we wrap up, um, one, and this is relation to your book, but in general. So I get asked often by people aspiring to write a book or working on a book. Um, how did you write a book, let alone three, you know, and it's like, it fell into my lap. Okay. I was, I'm, I'm being very honest. That's not humble. That's honest. Like my first book was put out with Atria and beyond words. Second book sounds true. Third book, Simon and Schuster. I still can't make sense of it because I didn't go to school for writing. I, my girlfriend makes fun of me because I still have a very hard time calling myself a writer. I call myself an experience sharer because I read work by you or Thoreau Walden, even people like Bukowski and Hunter Thompson, William Burroughs, to me, you and, and they are writers. I read your guys' words and it's like, wow. Like, I wish I could write like that. But you know what? I write like I write. It resonates with people. It helps them on their journey. But I would love to pose that question to you or a question I often get is, you know, say say I'm an aspiring writer and, and who better to ask than you? 20 books out and, and 20 brilliant books. Well, thank you. Yeah. No, seriously, that doesn't even do justice. You know, I, I well, deeply admire writing. But what what advice would you give to these aspiring writers? Um, well, so let, let's back up. Well, thank you for that, and I and I and I encourage you to keep staying true to your your voice and and however it's showing itself. I think it goes back to, you know, I happen to write, but let's back up the process even further. It's not just about writing; it's about being who we are everywhere. And so I feel like our career is our soul's awakening. Where that happens is our occupation. So it can change because we change, but we grow. And so each, I believe that each, per, and then we'll get to writing, but of let course. me back it up. Please. But each person is born with a gift. Yeah. And our job is to discover it and care for it. And then it will help bring us alive. And so everything that we, I think all of our dreams, our ambitions, our goals, which we all have to have because we're human, but they really, you know, it's disappointing if we don't reach them and we feel happy if we do, but really working toward them is what brings our heart alive. Mm -hmm. And that's what's most important is to follow your heart and what's true. For me, you know, I think I think that, you know, often our dreams may not come true, but in working toward them, we may come true. And that's more important. Yeah. And so for me, this gets to the life of expression. And and I'm working on a, a book, the next book, which is about the life of expression. And however, it, you know, for me, that so it's not even about writing it down, but I, I write it down. Yeah. But. It's how can we be in conversation with life, be truthful, be open-hearted, hold nothing back, and be present. So I would encourage people to work on those, those uh, opportunities of being and then see if that manifests in writing, great. If it manifests in gardening, great. And if it manifests in a love of cars or building computers that you give away to help people who don't have computers, great. But so it's not just about writing. It's this deeper process of being and the life of expression connects us in the world and allows us to be a part in a living, a living universe. And that's the most important thing. And so I think that, you know, staying true to what brings you alive Staying true to, as the Buddhists say, seeing things as they are. And that we all have to have some form of expression because what is not expressed is depressed. Mm -hmm. So we can't, you know, we, we, in, we, in this whole conversation, we've both been inhaling and exhaling in regular rhythm. You can't inhale only and you can't exhale only. Well, the heart 
feel, the life of feeling, perception and feeling is how the heart inhales and exhales, is through expression. We inhale, we perceive and feel, and then we exhale, we express. So that doesn't mean, uh, you know, you could express through meditation. You could express, like I said, through standing alone in the woods. You can express in a conversation with another. But you ha- everybody has to have a, a means by which the truth of being alive comes out of you. Beautiful. And the, the words are the trail of that. So, you know, the first thing that I encourage all people who write is to begin a journal um, by which you open a conversation with life. And it's not about crafting language. It's not about writing, making sure you write something great. It's about expressing something true. If it's true, then later it's worth caring about how it's said. But the first thing is to open up, a, you know, like we brush our teeth every day, we don't think about it. Right. 10 minutes, 15 minutes where you do spiritual hygiene and you have a conversation with the universe, with life, with what's been hurting you, what's been confusing you, what's been wondrous to you what's been moving to you, what's been changing you. And so that, because once you start that, then like brushing your teeth, you won't think about it. You'll just do it every day. And the importance is not what we create, but how we are created by committing to that conversation. So the, the um, uh, oh God, I'm blanking on his name right now, but it's in, I use it as a quote in, in the one life we're given, um, Ruskin, John Ruskin, the, uh, the, he was a watercolorist and an essayist in the 1700s in England. And he said, uh, the greatness of a work is not by what is someone achieves by their toil, but what they become <laughs> or doing it. Wow. You know, so... That's amazing. Um, I wanted to ask you, Mark, because this conversation has been very special for me. You know, I, like I said, I really love your work. And after attending the retreat you did, um, or, you know, the, the, the time I was there, seeing you and being able more, more than seeing you, but hearing you read out of a few of your books, it was, um, a very special experience. I know not just for me, I, anybody in that room, it's, it's well, one thing you. to read it, but to hear you read it, it's, it was very powerful. And I was wondering if you'd be open to reading something from any of your books, your sure. anything whatsoever, anything you'd like to read could be the new one could be an old one. Um, I would just love to share that with our listeners. Anyone who's not sure. had a chance to attend a retreat. And while you're pulling something up, let me say if Mark is in your area, do yourself a favor, please go. It's <laughs> it's uh, very special to say the oh, least. Well, thank you, Chris. I appreciate yeah, that. And so, g- given what, what we've been talking about, let me let, let me share a little story that's in Things That Join the Sea in the Sky, Lovely. called the Symmetry of Kindness. Mm-hmm. And because I think this speaks to um, working with what we're given and helping each other and being more together than alone. The Symmetry of Kindness. The train slammed into the station, injuring hundreds. The engineer was critically hurt. People toppled over each other, bouncing across seats and against windows. There was blood and glass everywhere. One woman shimmied her way to the platform when part of the station ceiling fell, pinning her. She thought she would die. Then the hands of fellow passengers lifted her, one to another, and she was saved. Later, she wanted to say thank you, but didn't know who to thank. Once on the mend, she retrieved a list of those who were with her that day. Now, one by one, she looks them up, asking if they had helped her. Each of them smiles and says no. Once with them, she can see what each needs, and so she helps them along. She unpacks groceries for an old woman, listens to a widower's story, and gives a single mom her umbrella. This has gone on for weeks. She keeps trying to find those who helped her, 
only to help those she finds. Finally, it occurs to her that this is God's symmetry of kindness. She will never know who helped her, so she can thank and help everyone she meets along the way. Wow. That is so fitting. Absolutely beautiful, Mark. Well, thank you. Yeah, I, it, man, I, between you and seeing David White speak and read, I, I just, I can die a happy man. Oh, <laughs> that's so sweet of you. <laughs> no, yeah, that's very, very beautiful. So the very last thing is we're just running out of time, and, and I appreciate you taking the time out of your very busy schedule. I wanted to share with our audience, um, I know there's a new online community, um, or I'm not sure if it's new, but I know it's linked in the back of the book. Um, something you created. Um, if you wanted to talk about that, I would yeah. Love to share so it's that. an it's an in the book in the back of the book, and yeah. and an online version is there to download through my websites. Um, you just look under the description of the book, and if you scroll down, there'll be a link. Uh, you can unload it as a PDF. Um, I created an online community guide as a way to, if anything moves you in the book and from this lineage of, of how we're more together than alone throughout history, how you can uh, convene small groups and take steps in your own communities, how you can look at these questions of how you perceive and relate to others, and then can you take a step where you live? Can you take a small step? You know, Mother Teresa said that courage is doing small things with love. And I think more than ever, we need those small steps. So this is just, you know, in all my books, I have questions that journal questions and dialogue questions. And now these are community questions to invite people to uh, to see where these things live in your own individual lives. Mm. Beautiful, Mark. So last thing uh, as we wrap up, is there I mean, there's so much we could have talked about from the new book to you know, all your other books to life in general. And I'm very happy with the, the ground we covered in an hour, but is there anything you would like to leave the listeners with, um, anything at all? I mean, your websites, we've already mentioned those and anyone listening, just scroll down on the be here now network page and the links will be there so you can find out more about Mark and where he's at. But aside from that, yeah. Any, anything you'd like to leave? I, I, I just would want to offer that, um, you know, even in the midst of all the difficulties and difference that we see and fear that that is clouding everything, you know, the sun doesn't stop shining because there are clouds. Mm. And that wherever you are on the political spectrum, it doesn't matter, left, right, whatever, we are not alone. We are deeply connected. And beneath our clouds of difference, our challenge as every generation is to refine each other and build something more than just what one person wants. And I, I believe that we can uh, find a way to 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 re-inhabit the truth that we're more together than alone. Couldn't ask for a nicer way to end this conversation, Mark. Thank you so much. Um, it has been an honor and a privilege to have you on the show. Um, and again, I look forward to one day down the line having you back on again to discuss all things life. So yeah, well, thank you, Chris, and thank you. It's great to be a part of your good work, and you know, you keep you keep going too. Thanks, Mark. Until next time, um, Mark Nepo, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you very much. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. 
Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Be Here Now today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Be Here Now.